this, uh, this morning is officially our last Sunday. You'll be on campus where you don't see Bill around the campus. Um, as he's coming back from his sabbatical, they're on a plane right now. Uh, they'll be back. He's back in the saddle July 23rd. So he's going to be slowly kind of coming back around. You'll see him around. And I'm personally very excited about it, okay? Very, very excited. <laughs> about his return. Um, and so I just encourage you, when you see Bill around, whether it's this week, just around the campus, or next week at VBS, um, you know, ask him how sabbatical was. Ask him how Thailand and the elephants were. Ask him how baseball in Japan was. And then say, and Justin did an excellent job, okay? Let's just, we can rehearse that together. Um, that's what we're going for. So now that we're all in agreement on that front, um, we're, we're closing out our, our time together in this series uh, that over these past few weeks, thinking about what it looks like for us to live as these, these little flowers of Jesus, to live as little flowers that grow up in the shadow of redwood trees, these little flowers that might seem small in comparison, but still somehow uh, glorify God. They, they build up and edify those around them. They bring life to the people they encounter each and every day. And I've been struck by, you know, if you were here the first week, we gave out little seed packets out on the patio if you grabbed them for you to plant. And one of the things I loved is um, Caleb Campo, one of our high school students, he planted his seed packets. And we've got a picture here of them growing up. Um, he's taking very good care of them, apparently, because my seed packets do not look like that. Um, but... That I love this moment. Caleb, you know, has, has very carefully gardened and, and taken care of these little, what hopefully will grow up to be flowers. Um, and uh, I'm struck by the way that, you know, Caleb took something and he, he did something with it. He actually put it into action. He actually planted the seeds and cared for them and, cared, and helped them grow, watered them. Uh, and I'm struck by the way that I think for us this morning, it's the perfect way for us to, to end as we think about... Um, this series of being little flowers to see the way that as we finish out the Sermon on the Mount, um, this life of a little flower, of being a little flower, requires us to take action. It requires us to actually uh, go out and take some action in our lives. And you can open up with me to Matthew chapter 7 if you'd like. Um, and in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, we see Jesus uh, close the, the Sermon on the Mount. He'd spend the past few chapters talking about this movement from just our outward behavior to the inward transformation of our heart, thinking about um, prayer, how to pray, how to think about money, how to think about judgment, how to think about worry, all these very relevant things to us. And then Jesus came to the end here, his grand finale, his big uh, rhetorical flourish to the end of the sermon, and this is what he says. He said, therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. 
Jesus starts this, this parable again saying, right, therefore, because of all these things that he said before, because of all his moral teachings here, all of his instructions on prayer, all of his invitations into life that he shared throughout the sermon in this moment, he says, therefore, because of all of these things, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is the invitation of Jesus. It's for us to live a common life of uncommon action. To be a person who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. To be a person who hears the instructions of Jesus and lives them out every day. To be a person who hears Jesus' teachings and builds a firm foundation for our lives on top of them. Hearing isn't enough, right? Hearing is part, but it isn't sufficient on its own. Knowing is part, but it isn't sufficient on its own, right? It says if you just hear Jesus's words or know Jesus's words, you aren't building your life on a firm foundation. If you just hear Jesus's words, you just know Jesus's words. In fact, he says, you are building your life on the sand, Jesus says in this moment, the, the wise and the man and the foolish man both heard Jesus' words. The wise man and the foolish man both knew Jesus' words. The thing that distinguished the wise man from the foolish man was that one of them put them into practice and one of them did not. The measure of your foundation is not going to be knowledge. It's going to be action. And notice really quick that I didn't say that the measure of your salvation is going to be action, right? It's not that you can do enough good things to get yourself to heaven, but it is that you, through your actions, by putting Jesus' words into action, can build your life on a solid foundation. Or you can build your life on unstable ground. The choice is up to you. If you want to be the little flowers who, who glorify God, it's going to require you to put Jesus' words into action. If you want to be little flowers who build up and edify those around you, it's going to require you to put Jesus' words into action. If you want to be a little flower who brings life to the people you encounter every day, it's going to require you to put Jesus' words into action. Right? God doesn't, isn't necessarily glorified because of the things we know. People in our lives aren't built up because of the things that we've heard. Our 8 to 15 don't experience new life in Jesus because of the, the things that we have learned at some point in time. All of those things come from us putting Jesus' words into action. And they don't have to be big actions. They don't have to be grand actions, but they do require us to put them into practice. If you want to have the uncommon faith that brings light to you and to your 8 to 15 that we talked about, Jesus says, put my words into action then. If you want to have the uncommon love that always works to draw closer to people, whether they're easy for us to love or they're difficult for us to love, Jesus says, put my words into action. 
If you want to have the uncommon restoration that removes the plank from your own eye before it, it helps to try to remove the, the speck from your brother's eye, Jesus says, then you got to put my words into action. If you want to have the uncommon treasure that stores up for yourself in heaven rather than here on earth, that has the right lens to see the world in a way that keeps your heart healthy, Jesus says, here's the solution. Put my words into action. And I know that at some point right now, it probably feels at least a little bit like I'm beating a dead horse at this point. Sorry to Mitch and our vegan friends on that point. But, you know, I, it's... But the thing is, I don't, know, I don't know what else to say. This is so important for us. This is so important for us. We all want our lives to be built on a firm foundation. We all want our lives to be built on the rock. We see the parable that Jesus tells, and all of us think, yeah, I want my life to be built on the rock, not on the sand. I want my house to still be standing, not to be torn down by the storm. But so often we stop short of that point. We stop short of the place that, that Jesus is inviting us to. We hear something good, we read something good in Jesus' words, and we take it in and we stop there. That's how far it, it goes for us. We don't do anything with it. And I'm, I'm including myself in that, okay? A few weeks ago, Amy was up here talking about uncommon restoration, and I, I sat here and I listened to her and, and I thought she had so many great things to say, so many insightful things to say uh, based on, on what Jesus was teaching. And I'm not just saying that because she's my boss, but because I really think it. Um, and I sat there and I was challenged. I was encouraged. I was pushed in some ways. And you know what I did with that? Nothing. At least I didn't do anything right away. I just kind of went along with my day. I went forward with my day. I don't remember what I did that Sunday. All I remember is that it was apparently more important to me than, than putting Amy's sermon into practice. And in hindsight, when I think about it, I realized that, you know, if I would have that day dealt with some of the planks in my own eye three weeks ago, I'd be in a better place right now. If I dealt with the planks in my own eye three weeks ago, instead of dealing with it the day before we take, you know, 50-something high school kids up to camp, we'd all be in a better place right now. My anxiety would be in a better place right now. My worry would be in a better place right now. My heart would be in a better place right now. When we hear Jesus' words and we put them into practice, we build our lives on this firm foundation. It's actually better for us. It's better for our lives. If your life is built on a solid foundation, the Apostle Paul says that you'll no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves that you encounter in life. You'll have this strong base from which you can live out life and life to the full that Jesus offers to you. We just spent the the weeks after Easter uh, talking about, you know, hearing God's voice in the midst of storms, right? In, in the midst of the storms we experience, hearing God's voice in the midst of a divorce or hearing God's voice in the midst of our kids struggling or hearing God's voice in the midst of losing a friend or a loved one. All of us, all of us are going to experience storms in life. Jesus is really not shy about this fact 
in general. He says even in this parable, the rain came down, the stream rose up, wind blew and beat against the house and then the house on the sand came crashing down. There will be times in your life when rain will come down and you'll have to figure out how to endure uh, a difficult conflict with your parents. There will be times in your life when the streams of financial burden and worry and anxiety start to rise and it feels like you're going to drown. There are going to be times in your life when the winds of anger and frustration from people who you've hurt or people who feel like you've hurt them beat against you and it feels like there's no hope for for the future. Jesus doesn't pretend like those things are impossible. He's very explicit with us that not only are those things possible, they're going to happen to us still. We will still experience these storms, but what he says is that you can face these storms, you can experience these storms with a foundation that isn't shaky anymore. With a foundation that is firm, that is solid, that is stable. But you have to put his words into practice. You have to be willing to put his words into practice. In James chapter one, um, the, the author says this, if I can turn there fast enough, this is my nightmare scenario here where I can't get there. Oh no, I lost it. Okay, everyone say a quick prayer. Let's see if he can do it. In James chapter one, it's on the screen, whatever. Oh, I did it. I did it. Yeah. Whoever it was that prayed, it worked. Okay. In James 1, starting in verse 22, uh, James says this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The book of James is kind of one of those, it's probably the most scathing of the uh, epistles in the New Testament, right? Of all the 21 letters we see in the New Testament, James is the one that when I read it, you kind of like wince through it a little bit, right? Like you just feel the pain of it. And James isn't subtle, right? He's not subtle here. He's really clear in this moment. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The description, I think, is tells you exactly what James thinks about people who hear the word and do nothing with it, right? They're like these people who, who they can't even recognize their own reflections in a mirror. They can't even see who they really are themselves and they forget. And I was thinking about when I was in elementary school, 
we had a dog um, named Rosie, and we got her from the pound. Um, and I don't think any number of DNA tests could have told us what kind of dog she was. Okay, she was just a dog, and that's what she was. Um, and and we loved Rosie. She was she was we she was a great dog. Uh, and at one point. Um, she discovered her own reflection a couple years after we, we got her. And so uh, I remember sitting in my parents' room with them, and they had big uh, closet door, the mirrored closet doors, floor to ceiling, right? And I had the same ones in my room, kind of down the hall a little bit. And Rosie walked in very casually, and she looked in the mirror, and she saw herself. And she froze there. And she just started staring in the mirror, like, we'd, like there was another dog in the room, right? And she's staring at it. And then she just bolts out of the room and I can see her run into my room and she looks in the mirror there and she sees herself again. And she comes sprinting back on the hardwood floors in the hallway, just the clack, clack, clack of her nails, right? Sprints back into my parents' room, sees herself back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we're dying laughing at this point, right? Like, oh, what a poor dog running back and forth. And then she comes back into my parents' room after a while. She looks at herself in the mirror and she poops everywhere on the carpet, just like explosively on the carpet. Scared, her own reflection scared her to the point that she lost all bowel control right there. And we weren't laughing anymore, right? That's the end of the laughter at that point. And yet I think when, when we look at this, you know, I don't want to be too harsh on us for a second. Um, but what's James saying here is saying, hey, if you're a hearer of the word but not a doer of the word, that's you. You can't even recognize your own reflection. You don't even know what you look like. You don't even know what this life is like. saying you're missing out. That's not the best life for you. This isn't how it's supposed to be. There's something more offered to you. There's something more that, that God has for you. And when we do this, what we end up doing is we build our lives on shaky ground. We build our lives on the sand and we're forgetting what we look like in our own reflection. And we rob ourselves of the opportunity to encounter God's grace in new ways each and every day. Dallas Willard pretty famously said that grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. And I think for, for all of us, if we're going to be the little flowers that Jesus calls us to be, there's going to be effort. There, in fact, I think going to be a lot of effort involved, and yet at the same time, there's going to be a lot of grace. It's easy for us, I think, to, whether it's because of our tradition or our upbringing or our experiences or the schools we've gone to, whatever it is, it's easy for us to associate grace and God's grace with salvation or with justification because they go hand in hand, right? It's by the grace of God we're saved. By the grace of God, we're justified, through the fact that God came and took on flesh to be with us, that he died for us, that on the third day he rose again, that he invites us into this life. This is the grace of God. But we don't only experience God's grace in our salvation. 
We don't only experience God's grace in our justification. We can experience God's grace in the the genuinely interesting conversations we get to have with our kids. Or in the meaningful moments where we're recognized by people we care about for something we've accomplished. Or in the, the celebratory moments we share with our friends around holidays or birthdays or whatever the big event is. We all can experience God's grace in a million different ways. I know that I have. I experienced God's grace when I listened to Luca at night in her crib name all the people she says love her, one by one. I experienced God's grace when I start my day in prayer, even though I have this whole list of tasks to complete, and I think, oh, this will be a waste of time, and yet in that moment, I experience peace. I experience God's grace when I go up to camp with our high school students and I sleep in an uncomfortable bed and I eat, you know, mediocre food with them for a week. And yet it's in those moments that I experience God's grace most often. It's so often it's in my effort that I have an opportunity to experience God's grace. It's not that I earned it. Right? It's not that I've done something to earn God's grace. I can't earn it. Otherwise, it's not grace anymore. But in my effort, when I put Jesus' words into practice, I experience the grace that he's offering me each and every day. Not just on that day 20-something years ago when I gave my life to Jesus the first time, but, but right now. The same grace that that moved you to tears as a high school student in a worn down chapel up on a mountain, that same grace that made you feel at home listening to someone preach in a stadium full of thousands of people, that same grace that brought transformation to your life as you struggled to understand what your purpose was supposed to be, that same grace wasn't just offered to you once at some time in the past, but is offered to you again each and every day. To experience that same grace that God is offering you each and every day. You make the effort. You put Jesus' words into practice. You live a common life of uncommon uncommon action and you experience God's grace anew. Thomas Merton said, every breath we draw is a gift of God's love. Every moment of existence is a grace. Every moment of existence is a grace. It's a moment you experience God's grace. It can be a moment you build your life on a solid foundation. It can be the big moments, the small moments, everything in between. The question isn't whether or not God will extend his grace to us. He's already done that. The question is if we will experience God's grace by putting his words into practice, by living the life that he's called us to, by building our life on the firm foundation he's offered us. To see God's grace poured out on our lives again and again and again. To experience God's grace in every moment of our day. And so what we do is we put it into practice. 
That's all we can do. That's the whole thing. And honestly, I can say this. There's, there's not all that much more for me to say on that front. Um, you know, over the past five weeks or months or days, maybe you felt God lead you somewhere. You felt God prompt you somewhere. You've been convicted by the words of Jesus and you need to put something into practice. You've been called to something by God and it's time for you to put it into practice. I don't know what that thing is for you. Okay, I don't know what God has called you to. I don't know what God has led you to. I don't know what God has convicted you about. But my sense is that for all of us, there's something. There's always a way for us to put God's word into practice in a new way in our lives. When Jesus was speaking with some of the religious leaders, they tried to trap him with a question and he responded with the parable of the, the Good Samaritan, one of his most famous parables. And at the end of it, his command is simple. He says, go and do likewise. And for myself, I've preached a lot over the past three months. Um, I've said a lot of things. I don't really have all that much more to say if I'm being honest with you guys. But I, I can say, you know, this is the invitation of Jesus, okay? Now go and do likewise. Go and do what he's called you to do. Go and put these things into practice. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. See your own reflection and recognize yourself. Experience the grace that God is offering you each and every day. This is the life of a little flower. It is a life filled with God's graces in every moment. Invited into something more in every moment, but you have to be willing to go and do likewise. You have to be willing to put these words into practice. You have to be willing to live the common life of uncommon action. And so this week, what is it for you that you need to put into practice? Not to earn God's grace, but to put a little effort to build your life on this firm foundation. Let's take a moment there to reflect on that. And in a second, we'll worship this God who extends his grace to us each and every day, in every moment of the day, and who comes alongside us and invites us into this life. So take a moment and we'll sing together.